my name is Alex Papangelu, and I'm from Emory University Hospital. Today, I will be interviewing Dr. Shobana Rejon, who is a staff anesthesiologist at the Cleveland Clinic and assistant professor in anesthesiology at the Lerner College of Medicine. He's also the associate program director for neuroanesthesia fellowship at the Cleveland Clinic. He trained in India and was practicing in neuroanesthesia until he moved to the United States and did her second residency in anesthesia and fellowship in neuroanesthesia at the Cleveland Clinic. Her research interests have focused on tailoring anesthesia in patients undergoing craniotomy to optimize perioperative outcome. Her other research interest is in multimodal analgesia after spine surgery and enhanced recovery pathways. Dr. Rajon has been involved in 10 peer-reviewed publications, some of which have involved dexamethasone. Besides research, her efforts are focused on neuroanesthesia education. She is an active member of the Education Committee of SNAC and is a leader of the neuroanesthesia quiz team in the Residents and Fellows Audio Corner. Along with Dr. Angel Baird, she heads the Trainee Engagement Committee of SNAC with the goals of opening minds to neuroanesthesia. There has been an increasing amount of attention to postcraniotomy pain. We will be discussing two manuscripts. The first one is entitled, The Effects of Dexamethasone and Remifentanil on Hemodynamic Stability and analgesic requirements after craniotomy, a randomized controlled trial. And the second one, asleep-awake-asleep craniotomy, a comparison with general anesthesia for a resection of supratentorial tumors, both of which Dr. Rajon was first author. One relevant disclosure, Dr. Rajon did receive funding from Hospira to execute the Remi-Dex study. Other than that, she does not have any current funding or disclosures. Why has there been an increasing interest in postcraniotomy pain? Well, uh, perioperative pain management has gained tremendous importance in all areas of anesthesia and surgery, and neurosurgery is not exempt. In the past, it was thought that pain following intracranial surgery is minimal, but recent literature has shown us that this is not the case. Additionally, there is also a hesitation by clinicians to treat pain in craniotomy for fear of masking neurologic evaluations and depressing respirations leading to hypercapnia. However, in recent years, there has been an increasing interest in postcraniotomy pain due to our emerging knowledge of multiple factors. Lack of pain control in the neurosurgical patient could have devastating effects. The tachycardia and hypertension produced by pain may cause post-surgical intracranial hemorrhage, adding insult to surgical injury. Pain could also have negative effects on the ICP and the autoregulatory capacity of the brain. Poor pain management increases the risk for post-operative nausea and vomiting, increases the chance of post-operative cognitive dysfunction, agitation, and delirium. Patient satisfaction also declines with uncontrolled pain, and for all these reasons, I think there is now an ongoing interest in managing postcraniotomy pain effectively. Can you briefly summarize the premise of your study 
on dexamethasone versus remifentanil for post-operative craniotomy pain? Sure. I've always been intrigued by the fact that anesthesia for craniotomy is very challenging. This procedure consists of brief period of intense noxious stimulation like pinning and drilling of the bone interposed with long periods of relatively lack of stimulation during surgery. It is absolutely necessary to blunt these nociceptive stimuli so as to provide to prevent perturbations of an already elevated ICP in these patients. Interoperative um, hypertensive episodes consequent to noxious stimuli and early postoperative hypertensive episodes may be associated with postcraniotomy, intracranial hemorrhage, and vasogenic edema consequent to impairment of autoregulation in the tumor resection bed. So remifentanil is the most commonly used drug in craniotomy because it blunts all these nociceptive stimuli and at the same time provides for a rapid and smooth wake-up. So it is considered a 21st century opioid. However, it is falling out of favor because of some of the concerns associated with its use, like hypotension and bradycardia in the OR, needing vasopressors, and a hyperalgesic effect in the postoperative period. The emergence hypertension and evanescence of analgesia when you stop remifentanil is almost like giving naloxone. So a promising alternative to remifentanil is dexmedetomidine, a potentially neuroprotective alpha-2 adrenoreceptor agonist. The drug is sympatholytic and may thus attenuate hypertensive episodes. It is also anti-nociceptive and reduces intraoperative anesthetic requirements. However, dexmedetomidine has a much longer context-sensitive half-life than remifentanil. Since the postoperative consequences of intraoperative remifentanil and dexmedetomidine use in the neurosurgical patient remains unclear, we decided to go ahead with the study. At this point, I would like to acknowledge Dr. Rafi Avitsian, who is uh, president-elect for the SNAC, and Dr. Andrea Kurtz, my chairman, and Sheila Kumara, who are very supportive for the cause of the study. So um, we therefore tested uh, the two primary hypotheses, that is, uh, intraoperative administration of dexmedetomidine provides better control of post-operative blood pressure than remifentanil, and patients given dexmedetomidine have less post-operative pain and require less opioid. Secondarily, we assess the differences in post-operative heart rate, speed of recovery, memory, and concentration after wake-up. Our study, which was approved by the IRB of the Cleveland Clinic, was a randomized control trial, and patients were assigned to receive either a remifentanil or dexmedetomidine infusion for anesthesia maintenance. A total of 142 patients were randomized between July of 2011 and March of 2014, and after three deletions, 68 were assigned to the dexmedetomidine group and 71 to the remifentanil group. What were your study conclusions? So the primary outcomes that we were looking for were like the mean arterial pressure at 15, 30, 45, 60, and 90 minutes after extubation, same scores measured at the same time, total opioid consumption during the initial 90 minutes of recovery. Secondary outcomes included post-operative heart rate, times to eye opening, name recall, and modified short orientation memory concentration test score, nursing usage score at 90 minutes, and we also looked at side effects like nausea, vomiting, and shivering, Aldrich recovery score, which determines fitness for discharge, and actual post-anesthesia care unit discharge. 
Our results showed that dexmedetomidine was superior to remifentanil with respect to PACU pain scores and PACU morphine equivalence, with a median difference of 1.9 for pain scores and a median difference of 5 mg of morphine equivalence, which was a pretty significant. The mean arterial pressure was also significantly lower in the dexmedetomidine group compared to the remifentanil group in the PACU by about 10 points. Patients given remifentanil opened their eyes sooner and were able to state their names faster and were sooner judged fit for discharge. However, there was no difference in actual time to pack your discharge. The short orientation, memory, and concentration test score was slightly lower in the DEX group in the first 15 minutes, but this caught up with Remy afterwards. In 2013, you published another manuscript comparing a sleep-awake, a sleep craniotomy to general anesthesia which will also involve that which also involved dexamethamidine can you please summarize that study sure so this was a retrospective study comparing 101 patients undergoing an asleep awake asleep technique for awake craniotomy to patients undergoing craniotomy under general anesthesia all patients in the awake crani group got propofol and dexamethamidine infusion and this study basically demonstrated the safety of doing an awake craning with this combination of drugs. Analysis of hemodynamic variables showed blood pressure parameters and heart rates during pinning and emergence to be much lower in the awake group. Similarly, analysis of post-operative hemodynamic variables in the PACU demonstrated the need for antihypertensives was significantly less in the awake group. Pain scores and opioid requirement were also significantly lower in the awake group, just like our previous Remedex study. We postulate that pain control is better in patients who underwent awake craniotomy due to the addition of dexmedetomidine and also possibly better local anesthetic blockade. The study showed that awake craniotomy um, using a combination of dexmedetomidine and propofol with intermittent boluses of fentanyl provides adequate sedation, analgesia, and a smooth wake-up during the period of neurologic monitoring with stable hemodynamics and acceptable respiratory parameters. What do you believe are the limitations of these studies? So our, our Remedex study had some limitations. Uh, first of all, it was limited by our inability to blind the anesthesiologist to the drug randomization because in the DEX arm, they had to stop the drug administration earlier than the remifentanil arm because we stopped um, DEX at bone closure, whereas we stopped the remi at removal of head from the pin, which may introduce potential bias to the intraoperative anesthesia management. However, all intraoperative data were pulled from the electronic anesthesia record and all post-operative data collection was uh, pulled out and conducted by blinded coordinators. Another limitation is the addition of transphenoidal surgeries, which in general have different operative and recovery characteristics than supertectoral craniotomy, but were included because they were also intracranial procedures with the same anesthetic considerations. That being said, there were equal number of transphenoidal cases in both randomization arms. A third limitation is that we only measured immediate post-operative pain scores, and I think it would be very beneficial to look at little long-term pain scores, for example, post-operative day one or two. 
As far as our awake training study is concerned, uh, one limitation is that it is retrospective and so we do not have much control over what was given. And the two groups were also fundamentally different from each other with respect to the anesthesia type because one was awake cranny and the other group was cranny under general anesthesia. And uh, this leads to uh, different, and both are different groups and so they have different sets of expectations and risk benefit trade-offs. Yet uh, the aim here was to highlight the issues faced in the awake group in comparison to general anesthesia. Taken together with a few other studies on dexamethasone during craniotomy, has your personal practice changed as a result? Uh, that's a very good uh, question, Alex. Um, so my answer is yes. I do think my personal practice has changed because I have been incorporating dexamethasone more and more. I routinely use it for awake craniotomies, both in the ORs as well as on, in the intraoperative MRI suite. I frequently use it for the regular craniotomies for tumor resection, either alone or as a combination with remifentanil. I uh, sometimes use it for spine surgeries when they do neuromonitoring. I also use it for stroke patients when we have to give uh, sedation. I also use it for deep brain stimulation for Parkinson's disease since blood pressure control during the awake phase is extremely important um, in this procedure. I'm considering its use in situations like aneurysms and AV malformations and uh, carotid endarterectomies, and I'm still waiting for some more evidence in that area uh, to use dexperitomidine. Do you envision that an ERAS approach to craniotomy may become prominent in the future? Again, a great uh, question. I think um, ERAS as a pathway is becoming prominent in many areas, and I feel that in neurosurgical anesthesia, we should not be left behind. Currently, ERAS for spine pathways is becoming fairly established at many centers, and I feel that ERAS for craniotomies could also follow suit. We could formulate a protocol incorporating multimodal analgesia, the use of dexmeritomidine, and incorporate evidence-based neuroprotective and antinociceptive techniques and fluid and blood management strategies. However, um, in craniotomy, it could be a little more difficult to bring in ERAS as a one-size-fits-all because it encompasses tumors, uh, vascular malformations, cerebral revascularizations, functional neurosurgery, et cetera, et cetera. And hence, we may first have to set it up as a broad guideline and then maybe tailor the anesthetic technique to each type of uh, neurosurgical procedure. Dr. Rajan, thank you for spending the time to speak to SNAC members about this topic. Advancements in our clinical practice are always welcome, and hopefully the use of dexamethasone can improve postoperative pain management, reduce opioid use, and even impact patient outcomes. Thank you so much for inviting me to participate in this podcast. It was a privilege.